Okay, we're going to be looking at several different verses today. It's a challenge to preach through the vision and the values of a church because to get to a place where you have a vision, you kind of try to wrap your mind around the entire Bible. And so there are so many different places that we could go, and, um, and, and we're going to do that today. So, uh, but in the bulletin, I want to direct your attention on the inside cover. There's a place uh, where there's an outline there if you want to take notes today. Um, we are... We're preaching through our vision and our values as a church, defining, again, who we are. These are the foundations both for a great church and a great city. And who we are as a church, it's not just seen in our name. Okay, we call ourselves now Harbor City Church because we're striving to be a refuge from the storms of life for people. Um, but in addition, we also want to be a place and a source of renewal so that we can engage our mission to love the people and the city of San Diego. And today we're going to talk more specifically about the vision and the mission of our church. Okay, the vision and the mission, they are tied together. Uh, In fact, our mission is in our vision, as you'll see today. And I I was thinking about this message, and with all of the construction that's sort of going on in the East Village and heading our direction, I was thinking a construction analogy would help us Think about vision and mission in terms of a construction project, okay? And so along those lines, uh, when you think about constructing a building, our vision describes what we're building, and our mission is how we're building it, okay? So if you think about vision and mission, that's how we think about it. The vision is what we're building, and the mission is how we are going to build it. And to the question of why have a vision, like why, why do we need to have a vision? Can't we just say we love Jesus and we believe the Bible? Um, yes, we could, but I think that it's important to have a vision because we want everyone in our church and everyone who comes into contact with our church to know what we're about and where we're going as a church. Okay, we want them to know um, what our hope is, like what our goals are as a church and what we want to see happen. And so this is the vision of where we're going. Okay, this is the vision of our church. It's a renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. Okay, this is the vision of our church. And these three phrases in this vision are the three points that we're going to look at today uh, in the sermon. Again, they're in your bulletin. And so first, we're going to look at a renewed city. A renewed city. And what this means to us is that the gospel renews everything. Okay, the gospel renews everything. Okay, our vision, it describes the future that we see when God brings more of his kingdom to San Diego. Okay, that's the vision. And so in a construction project, a vision, it's the architect's rendering of the finished product. Right, are you with me? When they have any kind of massive building project, there's always some sort of visual representation of what it's going to look like. It's not reality yet, but the vision gives you a chance to see into the future what will be built And for us, where does this vision of a renewed city come from? Well, it comes from the end of the Bible. It comes from the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And I just want to look very quickly at Revelation 21, verses 2 through 5. Okay, this is what it says. John, the author, says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And it goes on, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And this is the vision of the renewed city. This is God at work. God is renewing everything. And so what we see here, what we see when we look into the future for San Diego, we see a renewed city where God is at work. We see from this passage that the past is gone. Okay, the past is gone. It's been forgiven and it's been healed. And people in this passage have a deep relationship with God. He now dwells with us. We have a deep relationship with God. So there is assurance and acceptance. There's forgiveness there is a sense of like, that we know God and that we live now in a relationship with him. We see from this passage also uh, that society is healed. right? Pain, anguish, crying, mourning, these things are healed. And what we see also in the book of Revelation is we see a community without walls. Okay, A community without walls. Look in Revelation 21, verse 25, it says this, its gates, this is the, these are the gates of this city, of the renewed city. Its gates will never shut by day. It will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So I like this, because you kind of read it, and you think its gates will never be shut by day, and you're like, well, that's not a big deal, because nobody shuts their gates during the day. You've got to shut them at night, and so well, this really isn't saying anything, and then you read the rest of the verse. Oh, and by the way, there will be no night there. Right? There will be no danger there will be nothing to be afraid of in the renewed city because God is there, because God's people are there, and because the city has been renewed. And so this is a community without walls. We also see from Revelation 21 that the city is filled with the beauty of art. Okay, the arts are celebrated. Look at this, chapter 21, verses 18 to 21. The wall was built of jasper. It's an amazingly beautiful, precious stone. While the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And verse 20 gives you 12 of them. One for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's this tie-in with the fulfillment of all of God's promises for his people. From starting with Genesis on. But then verse 21 says, And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates was made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And so what we see here is beauty. What we see here is artistry. What we see here is an appreciation and an aesthetic joy and a beautiful presentation of God's intention for the city. And so the renewal of the city includes the arts and as we read in the book of Revelation, we see that all are welcome here. All are invited. The book of Revelation, in fact, ends with this invitation. In chapter 22, verse 17, it says, Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Without price. And so in this beautiful picture of a renewed city, 
we see that the renewed city is full of the extravagant grace of God. And what this means here is that Jesus didn't build this city for us to earn our way to it. You don't get in because you deserve to be there. You don't get in because you've done enough good things in your life. And because your good outweighs your bad, or even if it doesn't outweigh your bad, because you've done enough good, you can get in. That's not how it works. No, no, no. The water of life is given without price. The only requirement is that you're thirsty. The only requirement is that you would long for God. The only requirement is that you would be willing to bow your knee to the one who built this city in the first place. The extravagant grace of God fills the renewed city. This is the future. This is the glorious future. And it's the future that is made possible by the cross of Jesus. The only reason anybody can get into this is because Jesus has come and achieved a victory that none of us could achieve. We all have sin. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all have not lived our lives to produce this kind of city. But God did. God, because of his great love with which he loved you, he gave up the glory of heaven to come down and offer his life as a ransom for you and me. Jesus took our sin and our sorrow on the cross. Jesus took our pain and our death, the mourning and the crying and the weeping that will be dried, will only be dried because Jesus has wept and cried in your place. And so the best part of this city is not the jewels, it's not the beauty, it's not the community even. It's the fact that God is in the center. It's the fact that one day, forever and ever and ever, we will be with our Savior. That one day, this renewed city will actually belong there because we'll experience the fullness of our own renewal. And so, if Jesus has come to rescue us, if Jesus is victorious, then the question that a lot of the Bible then asks us to, to ask ourselves is, what kind of lives then should we be living now? If this is the future, right? If this renewed city is our future, then what does life look like now? If we're waiting for that future, if we're anticipating that future, what does that mean for us? What kind of hope should we have today? God wants us to see this future. God wants us to see a renewed city because he wants us to join him in bringing this renewal to our city today. Okay? We know from the gate, from the beginning, that this vision of a renewed city in Revelation 21 and 22 is about the future. We know that this is the finished work that Jesus will accomplish at the end of time. 
But in the meantime, Jesus calls us, he invites us, even teaches us to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our lives today are to reach out to that future, to hold on to the future, to see it as clearly as we can, and then to ask ourselves, how can we pull that future into the present? In what ways can we help San Diego to experience the renewal that God has in store for all of creation? And so for us, as a church, right, this is going to look radically different. Right? For each one of us, because we're in different parts of San Diego, we have different passions, we have different things that we do with our time, and so the renewal will look different. But I think for us as a church, when it comes to the ministries that we've chosen to tackle, we think that we see this future impacting homelessness today. We see a future where people who have are sacrificing and they are offering help, wise help, to those who have not. We see an impact on sex trafficking, where women and soon children are going to be given options to escape slavery in San Diego, and where less people want to pay money for sex. We see an impact on the church's relationship with the gay community, right, where the gospel is at the center to challenge both communities to embrace the grace and the truth of Jesus and not to vilify the other. These are just some of the things. We see workplaces in San Diego where employers and employees are living out the victory of Jesus. Okay? And they're caring about the quality of their work and they're using their work to serve the people of our city. Okay? So you're not going to work with this drive to prove yourself. But you're going to work because Jesus has been victorious over sin and selfishness. And you're working in part because you want to live out that victory at your work. We see homes and neighborhoods where meaningful relationships are the norm. Where parents and children, where roommates, where dating relationships are characterized by love that causes others to thrive. And where we thrive because we're loving others. I mean, it's when we see God's vision of a renewed city, when we see the beauty, the community, when we see the communion that we have with God, when we see the past being gone and forgiven, when we see all things becoming new, when we see that, our lives begin to work with God to bring that future into our present. That's what we see with a renewed city. We see that the gospel changes everything. Now, if you're like me, and there's a little bit of cynicism in you, just a little bit, not too much, right? Uh, But a little bit of cynicism, you might be saying, like, come on. Like, really? A renewed city? Like, how in the world can you be serious? Can we really make a dent, let alone bring about renewal? Can we even make a dent in the city? I think to answer that question, that brings us to our second point. It's our second point. We, uh, what we see in our vision is a renewed city through a renewed people. Okay? It's through a renewed people. 
And this renewal of the city happens. Here's the blank on your outline. It happens one relationship at a time. One relationship at a time. So we believe that what we see is the city being renewed through renewed people. And that's done one relationship at a time. To the cynics among us, to the skeptical, to the, oh, you always overreach because you're in a pulpit and you're supposed to do that. Um, to all of you who are thinking that, um, I want to introduce you to the city of Ephesus. Okay? The city of Ephesus was a major city in the ancient world. If Rome was the political power of the empire back then, Ephesus was probably the spiritual center of the Roman Empire. Okay? Ephesus housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the temple to Artemis. Right? Also, she was called Diana. Um, and the worship of Artemis was a vital part of life in Ephesus. The, the worship of those people was ingrained, it was deeply entrenched into the life and even the economy of the day. Um, the temple actually served um, the city by employing thousands of priests, prostitutes, eunuchs, singers, and then priests and priestesses. Idols of Artemis were everywhere in the city. They were a huge part of the economy of the city. Um, this was, in some ways, I mean, we just don't understand how corrupt the ancient world was. Um, but Artemis and this place that you would go, it, you can Google pictures of the statue of Artemis. Uh, she was multi-breasted and multi-testaculated. Is that a word? Um, pictures of her, like literally like 30 breasts and then like 30 ox testicles adorned her images because she was the goddess of sex. And the kind of activity that went on in the temple um, was stuff that most people wouldn't even be able to stomach if you heard descriptions of it. And yet, what's astonishing is that this was the spiritual center of the Roman Empire. And so people from all over the empire would take trips to Ephesus to participate in the worship of Artemis. It was like Disneyland. People would come from all over. And so the economy wasn't just, ba I mean, a lot of the idle selling was for visitors that would come. And in Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul actually spends two years in Ephesus which I think is awesome. Paul was for the city of Ephesus. He didn't build a wall and say, I'm not going there, or I'm going to call fire down from heaven. No, no, no. He went there, and he spent over two years teaching, preaching, making disciples. And you can see in Acts 19 the impact that the church had on the culture. And I, I just want to read this to you. It's a little bit long, um, so I just want you to, to, to listen to what happened um, as Paul was in the city of Ephesus preaching and teaching about Jesus. In verse 18, it says, um, Many of those who had become believers, they came confessing their sin and divulging their practices. <clears throat> so people were being called out of the debauchery and the lasciviousness uh, of the lifestyle in Ephesus. 
And as they came to Jesus, they began to come and confess their sins and divulge their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And again, you'd understand that these weren't just magicians and illusionists doing card tricks. These were people who were connecting with the demonic world. And they were exercising power and authority over people because of power that they were being given from the demonic. And they were coming and they were gathering their books and they were burning them in the sight of all. And the value, they counted the value of the books that were burned and found that it came to about 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a boatload of money. These are people who are sacrificing not just the goods that they have, but they are leaving the lifestyle of making money by practicing these things. So it's not even just that this stuff was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, but it's that this was them giving up the livelihood that they had, and they were going to need to find new ways of living and making a living. And so, verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, at about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And if you read the book of Acts, in the ESV at least, this, this no little is used kind of often. It's, it's the author's, I mean, the book, it's Luke's way of saying this is this massive thing. So he says, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he made shrines of Artemis. He brought no little business to the craftsmen. So he made these things, sold to the craftsmen, the craftsmen sold to the, to the people. And these craftsmen he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and this is what he said. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Y'all, we were getting rich on this stuff. And you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? That a god made with, a hand, with your hands is not God? And he has the gall to say this to people. And then he says, and there is danger, not only in that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And so they then go, this group, they then go into the marketplace, into the center, um, and they cause a riot. They cause a riot, and Paul was literally going to be killed. And they grabbed some people that were followers of Paul, and they dragged them, and they were about to beat them. And the friends that Paul had, who were in authority, had to come to his rescue. And so the point is, here's the, I mean, here's the point. The point is that there was, um, there was such an impact that the gospel had on the city that the economy of the city was changed. That people were refusing to purchase idolatrous things. That people were giving up ways of life that were sinful because of the victory of Jesus. And if you went to them and you said, man, how could you do this? How are you going to provide for yourself? You got people that would say, you know what? 
we would rather be poor and honor Jesus than to have wealth and to live in sin. For them, there was not... We, we tend to think, and, and even as a pastor, sometimes I tend to think, I've got to be careful how much I ask for from you. Because I know that you have other things competing for your time. I know that your willingness to commit to things in the church, you know, there's a, there's a range, and there's a point where you think, wow, that's just too much. But when it comes to Jesus, what could he ask you for that would make you say, that's too much? Think about that. What could Jesus ask you for that would make you say that's too much? If there's something, I would write it down. I would write it down. And I would ask you to consider if possibly that has become for you an idol. Because chances are, chances are, if there's something that Jesus could ask you to give up and you would say, no, 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 that's too much. Then I would say, I don't think you understand what Jesus has done for you. I don't think, like, you may be a Christian. I know for me, I had moments where I was listening to speakers and I remember hearing, this happened to me twice. And after that happened the first time, I said, that's never going to happen to me again. But then I, it happened to me again. Um, I was sitting in a talk, and this, this person was preaching, and he was saying, if you are willing to give Jesus everything, I want you to stand up. And I heard people, and we were eyes, uh, you know, eyes closed, head bowed, you know, we're not supposed to be looking around. And, um, and I heard all these people stand up, and I was sitting there thinking, I can't stand up. I can't stand up. And for me, I didn't want to go to Africa. That's what I was holding on to. I didn't want to be a missionary. Um, and in that moment, I realized, like, if Jesus asked me to go to be a missionary, um, I couldn't go. I wasn't willing to go. Um, I know that's pretty clean. You know, I know that um, since that moment, um, I struggle with a lot of other things. And, and there are sins and there are difficulties that I have, but there's a difference between, here's the, here's the difference, there's a difference between being a sinner who is willing to repent there's a difference between being someone who is broken and fallen, um, but who is saying, Jesus, I'm broken and fallen. Right? There's a difference between that person and someone who says, on the other hand, Jesus, I'm not willing to follow you in this area of my life. Um, and so, if there's something that you would not be willing to give up because it's too much, I just want to invite you to ask yourself again, what has Jesus done for you? Was there any limit to what Jesus did for you? Did Jesus spare anything? I mean, Jesus, who was rich in heaven, full of glory, full of praise, being treated as he ought to be treated, gave it all up and emptied himself to come to earth so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, who gives you this glorious future inheritance, he says, now I want you to follow me. We need to be able to say, Jesus, wherever you go, and it's, it's those people who are, those folks who can say that. Again, they're not perfect. They struggle with sin, but they realize, Jesus, I'm willing to do anything, and if I can't, if I'm not, then I'm confessing it as sin. Right? That's the renewal
That's the renewal that I want you to experience. That's the renewal of the gospel where we literally let go of everything and we say, Jesus, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. These are the people who were having this profound impact on the city of Ephesus. It's because these people were so overwhelmed with the victory of Jesus and how much God loved them that there was nothing that they were unwilling to do for him. Now, the question is, how did they do it? Like, what were these Ephesians doing specifically? Right, well, and what's wonderful is that um, the book of Acts actually begins by, it's like zooming in. Like, if you could look, the, the book of Acts kind of starts with this big picture and this promise of Jesus that the gospel is going to go through the disciples under the ends of the earth, right? So you kind of have this picture of the big map, right, of the whole world. But then in Acts 2, it zooms in. It zooms in. It's like Google Earth, and it zooms in. It gets you all the way down to the street view on Google Earth, where you actually can look into the homes of the Christians. You know, how exactly is it that, that, that this renewed people comes about? Well, the book of Acts starts, and it tells us exactly what they were doing. In Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, we're just going to look at 42 and 47. But this is what it says. So I want you to picture this. Right? There are houses and houses and houses of people, growing numbers of houses throughout the Roman Empire who are doing this. This is what the houses in Ephesus were doing, where these Christians were gathering together. This is what they were doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is it. This is what the early church was doing. They were devoting themselves to four, these four things. The apostles' teaching. For us, that's the Bible. The fellowship. This is growing in community. It's discipleship, right? It's having intentional, consistent relationships where you are with someone else and you're trying to help each other grow. Right? That's what fellowship is. It's more than one person coming together consistently and intentionally so that you can help each other grow. The breaking of bread. This is both the Lord's Supper when they gathered as a church and it was hospitality. And so these were people not just of God's word but of the sacraments because it's at the Lord's table where Jesus gives us um, this picture of a renewed city and a renewed people. Right? It's this place where Jesus actually renews us from the inside out. And the hospitality is, well, if Jesus has welcomed us to his table, then we're going to welcome you to ours. So the breaking of bread and then the prayers. These people were living in communion with God, and they were deepening their relationship with him. This is how people were being renewed. Okay, they experienced this renewal, and then they shared the gospel and the impact that it was having on their lives with the people around them. And God was adding to their number daily. God was adding to their number daily because these people had a relationship with God that affected the things that they said and that they did. They were able to share that Jesus was truly working in their lives, that his victory was thrilling to them. His victory over sin and selfishness was renewing their hearts so they could say, you know what? 
um, I really struggle with this member of my family, but Jesus is working in my heart, and I'm learning to be patient. I'm not there yet, but I'm farther there than I was yesterday, or last week, or last month, or six months ago. I've been struggling with something, and now I'm seeing myself grow. And so the city was being renewed, again, one relationship at a time. And this is our mission. Right? This is our mission. Number two here, this is our mission. Right? It's to renew people. As a church, this is our to-do list. We make renewed people, and then those renewed people go out to renew the city. That's our mission. This is what it looks like on the slide. Our mission is to make disciples who experience Jesus in every part of their lives and share Jesus in every part of the city. These are people who walk with Jesus and then live in ways that spread his renewal. And we have people that are doing this right now. We have people who are doing this specifically in the workplace. Like from our church, we've got people who are sharing Jesus in the way that they act. In the office, they are like shepherds. They're like shepherds, right? They're not always in charge, but we have people in our church who are known for their faith, and people go to them for prayer. They go to them for counsel. They go to them for advice. We have a CEO who is caring for her employees, who is making sure that the decisions that are being made are good not only for the company as a whole, but are good to provide a quality of living for her employees. We have, a, we have directors who invest in their direct reports and help them with their careers, even when their career means they lose that person because they've outgrown their current position. These are people who are bringing renewal to the city, and they're working this way in Jesus' name. And it's because they've been renewed. It's because they know that Jesus has given to them what they don't deserve, and so they want to pour out everything that they can for those they work with. I know that when we think about renewing the city, it's easy to give up. It's easy to think, all right, uh, it's too big, right? It's too big a deal. It's too hard. It's too complicated. It's not possible. But listen, all we're supposed to, like, all we're supposed to be able to see is the future. Okay, God's given us a vision for the future of a renewed city. But he's calling us to work in the present. Okay, so we see the future. We see the renewed city, but our responsibility is to do our part to renew people one day or one relationship at a time. Okay, so, in, so before you think, okay, I'm going to be personally responsible for renewing all of San Diego... Just think about, okay, wait, wait, how can I make sure I'm experiencing renewal? How can I make sure I'm helping others to experience it too? That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And so, renewed people begins with you. And it's as simple, really, as, as these three things. I shared this last week. This is, again, this is your mission, right? Say yes to these three things. Experience Jesus' renewal in your home, at your work, in your neighborhood. Share that renewal with others in word and deed. And then three, help others to do these three things. This is it. This is what discipleship is. This is what it means to make disciples. 
It means to help people experience Jesus' renewal. It means to help them to learn how to share that renewal with others in word and deed. And then it's training those people to become leaders who can help other people to experience the renewal and share it. And as a church, we're going to help you do these things. Right? We're going to equip you and challenge you and encourage you to do these three things. And when this happens, something wonderful results. Something wonderful results. When we renew people, when we act as renewed people and we renew the city, the third piece happens. And that's the glory of God. The glory of God. This is our third point. So the glory of God means that uh, renewal gives God credit and honor. Renewal gives God credit and honor. This is so big and so important, but it's so often understated. Okay, we get so focused, even in good ways, we get focused on loving people. We get focused on wanting to bless the city. Um, And I do this, even as a pastor, as a preacher. Um, And sometimes we forget that actually loving people is not even the end. That's not the goal. Renewing the city is not even the goal. But what is the goal, ultimately, is the glory of God. Okay? The glory of God is the ultimate goal. We want to live our lives. The reason we want to renew people and send them out to renew the city is so that God would receive glory. Okay? It's for the glory of God. Now, what is glory? Well, it's really... it's. Just, Generally speaking, glory is what makes someone or something amazing. Okay? So celebrities have a measure of glory. This is why when you're around some celebrities, you kind of get a little bit weak in the knees and you bow, bumble over your words and you trip and fall over because because there's something about them that is incredible. Like awesome, not in the hey, totally awesome dude kind of way, but awesome in the sense of like weightiness. There's something that this person has done or something this person does that is impressive, that makes an impression. Right? And glory can be for all kinds of reasons. There are entertainers who have glory, right? There are politicians who have glory. There are business leaders who have glory because of the different things that they do, right? There are nonprofit organizational leaders who have glory. Um, and God has glory, right? When we think about glory that way, it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? God is amazing in every way and then some, right? God is is awe-inspiring. God is special, right? That God made all of the world in all of its beauty is glorious. I mean, imagine, can you imagine talking to someone who has the power to make everything? Can you imagine someone who has the power to hold the oceans in the palm of their hand? Right? City Bible reading, we're reading Job, and finally God shows up. And God just reminds Job, uh, do you know who you're talking to? And Job, even in the rightness of his complaint, even in all of the justification that he has for, because he didn't do anything and he's getting dumped on, he did nothing. So as you're reading Job, you're like, 
he kind of, he, he deserves to complain because God's doing this thing and Job doesn't know and he, God, he, Job shouldn't be suffering like this and yet God shows up and just reminds Job of who he is and Job says, For Job, one look at God. And God is so awe-inspiring that even after everything Job has been through, even after all of his undeserved suffering, he was like none of it mattered in comparison to the glory of God. And so God is glorious. Um, we see his glory in life. We see his glory in people when they are glorious. Um, we see his glory in the gospel, right? We see his glory in the gospel as, his, as he doesn't just work in creation, but he works in renewing us through the gospel. We see, the, we see his glory fully manifested in the coming of Jesus, right? As we, as we try to wrap our minds around a God who would love us so much that he would leave all of that for this. God is glorious. And when we live for his glory, okay, when we do, when we join him in his work of renewal and renewing the city, something amazing happens. It's like when the children grow up and they're able to actually spontaneously of their own decisions like when they produce what their parents produce, right? God is glorious. And when we live in ways that follow him, when we live in the ways that he wants us to live, we give him glory. Our lives, in a way, like, I want to say add to his glory, if that's possible, because God's glory is infinite. And yet, when we make decisions as a church, that we live for God's glory, when we do things that he wants us to do, when we follow him, when we share Jesus, when we experience this renewal, we shine his glory through us. And it's truly amazing because in that moment, in those moments when we do that, what happens is, it's like we shine another light on him. And so maybe that's the best way to think about it. When you live for God's glory, when you say yes to this vision of a renewed city, when you say yes to this mission of experiencing renewal and sharing renewal, here's what happens, is that you become another spotlight on earth that shines the light onto Jesus. And so there's another perspective that honors Jesus. There's another person who can tell you how amazing and wonderful Jesus is. And what's great is that as we shine the light on Jesus, we are then the light of the world. The light that we shine on Jesus ends up lighting up the people around us. And it invites them to come and to experience Jesus themselves. And so the center of our vision, through a renewed people, it points in both directions. It points us out to the city, bringing renewal, but it also points us up to God by giving him glory and reflecting him and showing the love that's inspired by him. And so for us, 
We want to say, God, my life is for your glory. I want my life to show that you are more important to me than anything else. God, you can put me in whatever situation you want, and I will praise you in it because you have loved me in Jesus more than I could ever hope or deserve. I want my life to show you and others that here is one life that is reaching out for you. I feel like when we live this way, when we live for God's glory, then we are designing our lives to say, thank you, I can't believe it, and you are so good to me. That's a life to the glory of God. Saying, thank you, I can't believe it, and you are so good to me. There are people in this church that are saying thank you in the midst of suffering. There are people in this church who are saying, I can't believe it, while the circumstances of life are weighing them down and crushing them. There are people in this church who are saying, you are so good to me when everything in their life feels like it's going wrong. And when that happens, the light is just shining brighter and brighter and brighter. This is our vision. A renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. Would you say yes to this vision? Would you commit to seeing this renewed city? And if the only place you can see it is in the scriptures, then see it there at least. And begin to ask yourselves, what can we do to experience this renewal and to share it with others? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are glorious. And we want to live our lives in a way that would say thank you. Father, I can't believe how good you are to me, how good you've been to us, both in the good times and in the bad. Because even in the bad, Lord, we learn what's really important. And we learn about the strength that you give us. So even in the good, we want to live for your glory. Even in the bad, we want to live for your glory. And I pray that you would help us do that. Jesus, help us to live by your victory. To be so moved, to be so moved by what you've done for us that there's nothing that you could ask for us that we would say that's too much. Set us free from our circumstances. Set us free from needing to live and to have a life that is controlled by us. Help us to say yes to you and to this vision so that we could experience your powerful renewal and share it with others. And Jesus, for those who are here and they don't know you yet, would you help them to see that, in, that, that this is real freedom, that this is real joy, and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.